0: Welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Well, today is November 13th, 2019, and I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C., today we have sat down with Scott Dawson. And Scott is a dear brother and a dear friend, a mentor to me, a partner to me, someone that I've been able to call in a moment's notice to ask for help. But Scott is also uh, an evangelist and has had a ministry, the Scott Dawson Association, where he has filled up multiple stadiums around the world and here in the United States to be able to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He has discipleship material. He has been able to just aggressively through curriculum and through books and through speaking be able to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ I'm just excited for us to learn more about Scott Scott also recently uh, had a run for governor of the state of Alabama and I just want us to sit down and talk to Scott a little bit more about what does it look like to advocate government on behalf of life on behalf of, of social justice and gospel driven justice but I also want to talk to Scott about the importance of evangelism in every Everything that we do. But before we sit down with Scott, I want us to talk about a, a change that's happening in families. Uh, whenever a change happens in families, whenever something huge happens, like adding a family member through adoption or foster care, or something gradual, like children just growing older. We we must become intentional about remaining connected with one another in deep ways, especially in a time when devices can take precedent over faces. Real life relationships are more important than ever. That's why we've partnered with The Known Project to create a book for foster and adoptive families. With numerous interesting questions, our goal is to help families get connected and to build deeper relationships with one another during a time when challenges can easily pull us apart. So you will be able soon to find the book at lifelinechild.org backslash well known. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash W-E-L-L. K-N-O-W-N. And so the well-known book, our partnership with the known project is truly just a a way to get conversation started around the dinner table conversation, how to get conversations started in the family room or how to just begin having those conversations when you're going to and from practice or, or, driving children to and from events. We want adopted and foster families to have ways that they connect both with their children who've entered their home biologically, as well as children that have entered into their home through adoption in foster care. So go to lifelinechild.org backslash well known to be able to sign up and to get a copy of this book because it will be a great resource for your family as you are adding family members through adoption and foster care into your home. What a delight to have my dear friend Scott Dawson here on the Defender podcast and uh, Scott has been a friend but most importantly he has been a faithful follower of Christ that I have looked up to even before we really were able to meet formally. uh, Someone who has outspoken for the gospel, who has had the opportunity to, to speak to so many people. And if you've never heard Scott Dawson speak, he speaks with such clarity. And I know he's going to say in a minute, it's all the Lord, but it truly is the Lord that has used this man. And one of the things I love about him is he's humble, he's open, he's transparent. And so truly a man that what you see is what you get. And so uh, have had the opportunity, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, to support him. Uh, not as much as I wanted, but to support him as much as I could as he was just looking at running for the governor of the state of Alabama. And uh, I know he had a whole lot more support than maybe the polls were showing uh, that people really do love this man and love what he stands for, a man of character. But Scott, thanks for joining us. And you know, one of the things I, I really want us to talk about is you've been in student ministry for many decades, mm-hmm. you've seen the changes in student ministry. You've worked with students for many years. How have you seen student ministry change, really, from the beginnings in the '80s to where it is now today?
1: Yeah, you know, it's first of all, thank you for having me. It's you are a good friend. We've we've had plenty of breakfast meetings where we discuss a lot of things, everything from professional to personal and family and. Uh, you know, the best thing you can do as you go through this journey is have those friends that pray for each other. And, and although we lead, uh, separate ministries, we have the same heart. And that's why I love partnership with you. Uh, I have been in this thing for a long time. And I realize every year when I go to our student conference and see, uh, the faces of the students, I'm getting a lot older. Uh, started in night, in the late 80s, mid, mid to late 80s. And we did our first student conference, um, thought we were going to have a thousand, ended up having 89 being present. That's the reason students pay before they attend now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but the Lord taught me so many things. In fact, I tell people I learned more in the early conferences than I, than I do now with 10,000 plus students because I have a staff. They do it all. But back then it was me. And I remember two things that took place. Um, one that you can have a vision all day long, but you've got to have that plan that goes along mm-hmm. with it. You have to execute it. But the second thing I learned was that uh, on, in that retreat, God touched some lives that I went. This can this this can work. Mm-hmm. And so from that time, we have we we have mobilized students uh, for now over three decades. Mm-hmm. And here's some things I've learned. Um, there's a paradigm shift even with youth ministry. Let's start with the leaders first, those who lead our students. Back when when I first got started, there was a progression. You'd start at No Hope number three as a youth pastor. You had $50 in your budget, and you clawed and scraped and begged and borrowed. And eventually, No Hope number two picked up notice, and they picked you up. And then No Hope, and then you got to New Hope, and you were like, I'm, I'm here now. I've arrived. Well, with the birth of the megachurch in our lifetime, those not all, and I'm not indicting them, it's just a paradigm shift. The megachurches see these young, raw talents, and they go into these No Hope Number Twos, and they make them interns, and they give them a MacBook and a latte, and they bring them into staff meetings. Well, now that intern that should be at No Hope Number, or used to be at No Hope Number Two, has experienced so much, mm. there's no way they're going back to no hope number two. Mm. They may go to no hope, but they're looking for that new hope. Right. So we have seen a decimation in youth ministry. And I would say the targeted numerical range in a church, although there's always you know um, exceptions to the rule, are churches running 250 to 800 there's a vacuum for for good solid youth pastors i'm called almost every day so that's one paradigm shift the second is going to the students themselves when i started my goodness i mean it was the days of bunk beds and you know cafeteria style dining and and the kid thought oh i've i've reached the pinnacle of success i you know i'm now sleeping outside or something now there was a time, I'll tell you this story. There was a, our first winter conference, we held at a Hilton hotel and it was so nice. And everybody's like, are you scared to take students into the Hilton hotel? I was like, no, they've never stayed at a Hilton hotel before. They won't touch a thing. Mm-hmm. Those days are over. Mm-hmm. We, we live in such a society where everything's at your fingertips. Right. Now I'm not talking about just luxuries. Information is now at your fingertips. So what we used to do, Three decades ago, it, it is now such a faded memory they can't even remember it. So, so the the methods have changed. Mm-hmm. Thank God the message has not. Right. You know, I tell people the the gospel is the never changing story that still penetrates an ever changing society. That's right. So uh, there are some things that stay the same, but I always tell youth pastors and and parents, look, if you really want to reach this generation. You don't have to get you a pair of skinny jeans, a backpack, grow your grow- goatee and wear black rimmed glasses. What you have to do is you have to be authentic. Mm-hmm. It has to be in your life. If Jesus hasn't changed your life, he, he, you know, there is not a, a mechanism out there that they're going to be able to see it and go, wow, that's because here's what I have realized about students. They want to know, why am I empty?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why, why am I lonely? Even in a crowded room, I feel so lonely. Even with Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, why am I lonely? Why is there, um, what is the meaning of life? Mm-hmm. These are the questions students want to know. We have those answers. I can't believe we're not able to share those. I, you know, we, we don't really need another denominational president. Uh, we need to be able to understand how we can share the greatest message this world has ever heard and and stop messing it up. Mm-hmm by making it so complicated it's really simple love jesus let him shine through you and if you make a mistake the 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 most powerful two words you could ever share is i'm sorry right so
0: well and i think what's so important even as i hear you say that is i think so many parents even of teens today are so scared because they don't know how to reach their teens through the technology and the truth of the matter is what we saw in the 80s with teenagers and the 90s with teenagers who didn't have smartphones in their pockets, and even the 2000s right. that we're seeing with this generation, the, the, the desires, like you said, are, are all still the same. What am I doing here? They want to be known, mm-hmm. right? And, and they, want, they want authenticity of saying somebody's going to be consistent. And I think that, to me, is some of the things that I tell parents all the time your parent your your kids they need your presence they need your attention and they need they need your ear you know and if you can give those things to your teen it's not a foolproof like everything's gonna be okay but then you're going to gain the opportunity to start to press in with the gospel you're going to get the opportunity to press in on this is why we believe what we believe this is who christ is this is why it's so important but but Unfortunately, I think the reason we're having such a hard time, in my opinion, reaching so many teens is because it's not just the teens with devices in their faces, it's the parents as well. Yeah. And, and we've got to press into this. So, you know, I know that the, the core issues are all the same, but you definitely, are, as you travel, you see major themes and issues Coming up in this generation and and issues that they are facing, how would you identify first what those issues are, and then how would you counsel churches and families to reach their students and the, with those issues?
1: Okay, um, you know, and for Tara and I, my my wife and I, we with two now almost grown children, and you still pray every single day. But that is the foundation. And I, if you're if you're a parent listening right now and you, if you're struggling with your with your child, pray. Mm pray without ceasing. And that is, that is not, you know, uh, secluding yourself from life. That is, as you walk through life, realize that he is with you. He wants to work through you. And he he's, he's got the best in plans for you. So trust that too. As a parent, we, we realize we could always protect the environment. We could not protect our ch- children's experiences. Yeah. So it's very important to work on your environment, and then you have to trust God for those experiences. Um, three, uh, I think you, you one of the greatest issues that that has been the same since the '80s till right today is identity. Mm-hmm. Every student wants to know where they find their identity, and if they're trying to find it in Instagram or Facebook, or you can always tell because a young lady wants to find that notoriety. Not always, there's always exceptions, but that, you know, through their looks and you, you, especially for a young lady, they need to know that as a parent, you, you love them unconditionally. And you that every day we told our daughter, you know, the nothing you could do to make us love you more, mm. nothing you could do to make us love you less. You, you are unconditionally loved. Mm. Um, and then for the, for the, for the boy, the young man, He's always trying to find his identity through achievements. Mm-hmm. You know that's the reason you know sports or um, of of that nature. Again, they both cross over to different both genders. But uh, as a as a situation, so with the young man, uh, it was always about being proud of him. Mm-hmm. You know nothing you could do to make me more proud of you. Nothing you could do to make me less proud of you. I I just I'm proud of you because mm-hmm. you're mine. God's given you to me. Uh, so as you build that foundation, uh, we always used to have prayer time and uh, that's the one thing speaking to men a lot, I'll tell them, we know if this is a successful event tonight is if you go home and you gather your family around and just pray with them tonight, that's going to be a success for this event because there's something about a man's pride that will not allow him to be vulnerable in his family. Mm. And that is the greatest power source you can ever tap into as a member of that family to know that my dad, my husband is following after Jesus. So, so men, I would just say, if you've not prayed with your, with your, with your family, tonight's the night, gather them together and you go, well, I don't know what to say. Just simply start out by saying, father, I'm sorry we hadn't done this sooner. Give us the boldness to follow after you. Amen. Again, don't make it complicated. Make it simple. You want them to know that you're following after Christ. Um, and then, I would say for after identity, there is the uh, cyberbullying now that's uh, much more progressed than bullying. Same principle, yeah. but now it's getting into social media. How do you prevent bullying? How, you know, I, I would say again, protect that environment and allow there to be an openness and an honesty to be able to talk to um, the child. Because again, these are seasons of life, and what you want to make sure your child knows is that we we'll never take a snapshot in a full-length movie. Mm-hmm. Never take a, a, a snapshot in a full. You'll never get the full full identity of the movie. So, uh, with bullying, you know, there's talking to the. Um, you have to be. You have to use wisdom, and 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 also make sure that you don't, um, you know, go out and pull the fire alarm when some situations you just need to adjust the thermostat, right. be able to gauge that. I've noticed that parents, when they hear that their child has been bullying, my goodness, they, they just flip the switch and there's no way you can really speak to them with reason. Right. So listen to the student, understand the, uh, the, the severity of the situation, and then respond in appropriate action. It may just be a sit down with a teacher, it could be just delivering cupcakes to the classroom. I, you know, it's 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 the whole gamut there, and just right. you know, don't don't flip the fire fire alarm switch unless it's absolutely necessary.
0: Yeah. And man, that 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 advice, you know, the Lord has has helped Ashley and I in so many ways. And I've told other parents as much as you can. Don't flinch when your students are one confessing their sin yeah. to you, or two telling you what's going on with them, and you know. I actually had the opportunity, by God's grace, to catch one of my children in their sin. And, you know, my kids know that I'm the strong disciplinarian. They they don't want to disappoint me. Mm. And you could see the disappointment over the child when they got caught in this sin. And the Lord, totally God, because <laughs> you know me too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just calmed me down. Mm. And in that moment, you know, the analogy that has come that I've given to other people is, my child was in the street and had just been hit by a car. And sin is the car that had just hit them. Mm. And they were sitting there bloody and wounded. It was not the time for me to give them the speech about not playing in the road, the busy roadway. It was the time for me to go up, sweep them up my arms, love them, care for them, and listen to them. And it actually has forged a relationship with that child to where now, in ways that... In, in, in some ways, actually, I kind of thought this was this child wasn't struggling with anything like this one of the more mature of our three children. And this child is now in ways that we never would have seen confessing sin because they understand, mm. you know, and, and I'm not using, you know, gender non-specific pronouns because of identity because I don't want to give the identity of this child for their protection. but But that's the thing I see parents do. They overreact and they start to lecture or punish when the child's bloody
1: And and meeting
0: someone just to to, to, that
1: causes them to withdraw. It does, yeah. And so, and I would just say, uh, here's a shocker: when I'm in sin, I feel shame. I feel disappointed. (laughs) So uh, I think that is one of the major problems in our society. We expect perfection from everyone else, but we demand grace for our weaknesses. And you got to give it to receive it. And we we eat one another up in our sin, and we're so quick to do
0: that instead of going and gracefully restoring. And I I remember even the child later said, you've been so cautious and you've been so firm cautioning us towards sin, I thought for sure I would disappoint you. Mm. And I said, "You know, yes, I'm saddened, but I'm saddened because you've been hurt. And we're gonna pray for you and I'm going to continue to warn you away from this and other sins, but but when the when the sin bus hits you, that's the time for grace and mercy. And I think that's what people don't even get about the character of God. Mm-hmm. You know, the cross is both His wrath and His goodness and His mercy. His goodness, and His mercy to sweep us up, but His holy perfection against sin. And when a, I believe when teens really grasp that, and mm-hmm. it's not all mushy. God just loves you, loves you, and but He hates sin. But he loves the sinner, and when the students can really grasp both the severity and the grace and mercy of Christ, you see them. You see them just open up mm-hmm. to the gospel. So, Scott, I I know that through youth ministry and through the things you've been able to do, uh, and there's so many things you could tell us. But you have gotten to meet dignitaries. You've you've been in the White House. You've been all around the world, and the Lord has allowed you to be face-to-face with great evangelists, mm. you know, non-believers, heads of state. What What are maybe one or two particular stories that just
1: draw out in your ministry that you say, that was a really neat experience? Yeah, I, okay, it's just several of them. Here, here's the low-hanging fruit. One of our, my mentors, one of your dear friends, Tom Bradford, mm. He's the one who taught me, you know, um, to uh, show up, be punctual. I mean, I, I People say that's such a minute detail. No, I think it's it it shows great understanding of uh, you know, if you show up late, you're really saying that your time is more valuable than the other person's time. Right. So that has really taught me to 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 respect other people's time. Uh, then a dear friend of ours, Dr. Christenberry. Um, Bill and Kim have been great friends. And I know these are people that may not be known in Montana. Right. But in our lives, they're heroes. And Bill was the one that set me down and said, please, I only ask for one thing from you. Tell me what you're going to do and then do it. Because mm. if you don't tell me what you're going to do, you surprise me all the time. But if you tell me what you're going to do and you don't do it, that makes me think, well, what else is this? he's not going to finish? We talked before we started. I, I'm so tired of um, finding people that will start things. Mm. I want people who will finish things. Right. So those are two that we know... I will say probably the most dramatic illustration of this uh, was when I first met Billy Graham. Hmm. He, uh, he, we were in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they brought in a lot of these younger evangelists, and we were all going to get to meet Dr. Graham. Well, at that time, I had a weight problem. I weighed, you know, I, I, was, I was big. So I would have probably done this, but I couldn't get there fast enough. A guy ran past me when Dr. Graham was coming up the, the, the hallway and he grabbed Dr. Graham's hand. And I'll never forget what he said. Dr. Graham, Dr. Graham, I want you to know it's a pleasure to meet you. I have tried to portray my ministry after you. Thank you for all you've done. And Dr. Graham just jumped back and he started shaking his hands. And here's what he says. Oh, no, 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 son. He said, we've all made way too many mistakes. We don't portray our ministry after another person. We portray our ministry after Christ. That's who we pursue after. And when he said that, Um, we had our time, but it stuck in my head. And when he was walking away, I looked over at a friend and I said, you know, he doesn't know who he is. Uh And that statement, he doesn't know who he is. That has become my marker on the great heroes of faith. Mm. It's people who don't know who they are, uh, because most of us (laughs) think a little bit more of ourselves Mm. than what we should. But real men and women who make an incredible impact for the kingdom, here's the, the common characteristic. They don't know who they are. Right. Uh, another guy is uh, David Green, founder of Hobby Lobby, one of the most gentle, humble leaders you'll ever be around. Uh, someone asked him, what's the what's the secret to your success? And without flinching, he said, prayer. And they were waiting for something else. He was like, no, that, that's it, pray without ceasing. Um, and, but here's what I noticed about David. If you talk to, they were they asked him the other night, you know, being a CEO, what's your hobby? And he said, I have no hobbies. And then he said, wait a minute, pony beads. And they were like, excuse me? And he was like, <laughs> pony beads. And then he went on to this passionate explanation of how they have 30 different pony beads in Hobby Lobby, different shapes, different colors, and then he just stops and he says you want to know how many walmart has and the crowd just <laughs> lost it and and he said seven he said that's the reason we beat them we have 30 and i went here's a principal here is a man that's gentle humble but he wants to be the best he can possibly be right. he had i think so many times in the christian world we've we've kind of misdiagnosed meekness mm. as being weakness mm-hmm. As, you know, we think less of ourselves. No, someone who's truly meek, you think more of Jesus. That's who you focus on. And so, um, you know, there's been so many of them in our lives. um, But, you know, I choose to focus on the ones that can really teach me something to be after, to be more like Christ. That's right. And isn't it funny that
0: those that you meet that are almost untouchable or bring themselves to almost be untouchable, unfortunately, you, you see very shortly their ministries fail or you see something happen, you know, and it's it's just over and over, it proves what the word of the Lord says, pride cometh before a fall. Yes. You know, the man that will be used by the Lord is that man that is humble, that is upright. And, and you know, and, and I'm not just saying this, but that's one thing that I've always admired about you too, Scott, because you're always approachable. I mean, when we have been at breakfast and people come up and go, oh, Scott Dawson. Yeah. You know, even when you don't know who they are, that's the one thing that's impressed me. You get to know who they are. And and I, I just, I pray for you in that, and I pray for myself in that and other leaders that we would remain humble because we are in a self-exalting society and uh, whoever's on stage is exalted type of society. And the truth of the matter is it's only by God's grace that we get that platform. And we're just using our gifts and other people are behind us so that we could be there using their gifts. And those gifts are just as important as the gifts of the the speaker. And that's one of the things, even with Dr. Graham, I love the way that he always gave honor to all the people in his ministry that had made it possible for the Crusades to happen or for them to be somewhere. I remember the Tuscaloosa Crusade that he did, the last Tuscaloosa Crusade here in Mm -hmm. Alabama. And he spent 30 minutes thanking everyone who had made the Crusade possible. You know that to me is a leader that says I'm not the main stage. Jesus is the main stage, and that's the that's the main. Thing. If you're a
1: self-made man, you had not made much. That's right. And so right. to me, is the wannabes are the one that put up the the big facade. Um, but when I when I graduated college and was trying to make a decision on seminary, I wrote all the mega pastors of the day uh, a, a letter telling them who I was, explaining my 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 conflict, and if they would just give me 30 minutes that I would pay them. I mean, I, I learned it from someone else, but I thought, I will pay you for your time. And I had two people uh, respond to that letter and, and invested time with me. They're still some of my closest friends today. And I realized the wannabes uh, are the ones that put up the the walls mm-hmm. of of obstruction to getting to them. The real people who are successful they know that it's God's gift. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And I'm not saying we've attained, you and I have attained it, but I think that's what our lifestyle wants to represent of going. Mark Hall of Casting Crowns was asked, how do I get to your level uh, of uh, of ministry? And he went, there are no levels. We are who we are. There's only one level and it's at the foot of the cross. That's where we want to stay. That has always rung true in my mind. Yeah, and I, I think too, You know, spiritual warfare on that leader is so
0: real, one, to tempt them to pride or to tempt them to inadequacy. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I find that every time when the Lord has, for whatever reason, graciously used something I've said, the devil's attacks come in one of two ways. It's either, ah, yeah, I did it. Or it's, I'm so inadequate. Uh, And it always is instant. But I think that's what Paul meant. It's the thorn in my flesh, keeping me humble and exalting the Lord. When you realize I'm under attack mm-hmm. uh, and I need the Lord's presence. So to shift real quick, uh, and not a lot of people may know, but you ran, you did run for governor of the state of Alabama. Uh, I think a lot of people were very excited about that, but politics are politics mm-hmm. and they're hard, even in a state like Alabama. And uh, you know, I'm not going to name names, but I think a candidate before you probably didn't help things and matters uh having an evangelist run for governor but you were qualified and you would have made a great governor of our state i still say that and would say it again thanks uh that being said one of the things today we have in christendom is this balance and and we were we've been talking about before we got on about the polarization of the parties the polarization of everything in life and it's actually left a lot of christians you and i even going, where do we belong Mm -hmm. right? Because we don't, we don't belong on the alt-right and we don't, you know, not this hyper left that we see. How as a Christian, would you advise people to either one, get engaged and run for office Mm -hmm. or two, how do we make a difference in government and in the civic duty that we have in a Romans 13 type of way, but yet also not place our hope in that government?
1: Yeah. And I, I, I would say, you know, people would ask me on the campaign, you know, you, you, you work in ministry. What makes you um, qualified to be a politician? I went because I worked in church for thirty years. <laughs> Everything in church is politics. But uh, when we got into uh, now, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm traveling around and I'll ask pastors to bring four or five quality people for a coffee or breakfast and allow me to. I do a little topic thing on uh, what I wish I'd known before I ran for governor, because that's always the thing. It's it's you learn a lot walking through it. And you, you have to have that base of, of, of knowing who you are, which we've already discussed. But with the role of politics, you have to understand politics is not um, different than anything else we have going on in our society. We're a divided society right now. There was a time when there was a little bit of you know, those uh, far right and a little bit of the far left and everybody else just kind of got together and we, we worked it out. That middle is being squeezed in such a way in, in every aspect. I used to think that it was only Alabama and Auburn fans that couldn't get along, but now no one can get along. And so um, what you've got to do is you've got to have quality people that know what they believe. If you have a biblical worldview to me, that is one of the most fundamental uh, needs uh, mm-hmm. someone in public service has to have, because then you're not worried about the latest mm-hmm. polls. You you know that there is an absolute right. You know there's an absolute wrong. Man, wouldn't that be fun to get back to? Yeah. You know, just to have that core value. Uh, two, I, I I think it's it's okay to be nice. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's the one thing everybody was like, man, I'm so scared for you. You're you're so you're so nice, and um, Then they'd always say, man, I hope you stay close to Jesus. And Herbie, I'm just going to be straight up with you. This is being vulnerable, but I wasn't in sin. I was not um, doing anything wrong. But because of my talent and God's gifting in my life, prior to running for governor, if you would asked me to preach and you gave me five minutes, if you asked me to address a group of students and gave me five minutes, I'm there. Mm-hmm. I'm doing. I, I knew what I was doing. I was able to walk mm-hmm. almost in a spirit of callousness of going. Okay, I got this. Mm-hmm. When I ran for God, I couldn't get out of bed without knowing God's hand was upon me. Mm-hmm. I, there, every every meeting I walked into, I didn't know, uh, you know, who was coming after me, what was going to be said. Uh, how it was going to respond. And man, there was just that. Mo- and now that I'm out of the, the run for governor and back into my life, I'm taking that with me. It's almost been a spiritual revival mm-hmm. I've walked through of going, you know, Jesus is real. Yeah. Je- Jesus is in my life and he is flowing through me and everywhere I go. So when you're dealing with someone, if you're listening and you're going, hey, I don't know if I'm called or to be a politician or not, I'll tell you what you're called to do. You're called to follow after Christ. And if Christ calls you into that, then you go forward. Now you gotta have a pathway. I always said, if you don't have a pathway, why, why get into it? Mm-hmm. And um, for 30 years of doing student conferences, our you know, best friend having a syndicated radio show, we felt like we had a good pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also tell you, you better have money for television. If you're running for statewide office, you better have money for television. That may have been something we left out in our planning (laughs) procedures because uh, we had like $300,000 for television going up against a campaign that had 4.7 million. Mm -hmm. And so it it was one of those deals where I made a lot of friends. Um, I think we kind of, you know, you you mentioned the past scandals of Alabama political history hopefully we have we we have now kind of raised the bar a little bit for the credibility for the Christians to get into right. public service.
0: And how walking through that, if, if believers were gonna say, okay, how can we really pray for our leaders? And even not our leader, even our leaders that don't exemplify Christ, mm-hmm. like our current president, he doesn't always exemplify Christ, but we still need to pray for him. And the Lord can still use him. And I, I believe in ways he has used him. Uh, we need to be praying for our leaders, whether we agree with them or not. But being in that seat, how would you encourage folks to say, this is what I wish people have been praying for me, as well as praying for others that have already been elected? Well, it is the
1: one thing we're commanded to do, according to Romans 13. Right. We're supposed to pray for those that are over us, that this, we've forgotten the um, uh, government was an institution God created. Right. He created the family, he created the church, and he created government. And what we'd like to do is we love to talk about the family. We love to talk about the church. And then we go, that that political thing, oh, we'll leave it out over there. Well, no, if God created it mm-hmm. and, God, and God's word tells us we're, we're commanded to pray for those, then we better get, I think that's one of the biggest problems we have. We love to talk about the problems. We don't like to pray for our leaders. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, pray for our leaders. How do you pray for them? I always ask for three things, and this is during the during the campaign. And every elected official that I pray for by name, I pray for wisdom, mm. uh, I pray for discernment, and I pray for favor. Mm. Because if if God will grant us wisdom, God will grant discernment, God will grant favor. Um, that person who's leading your town, your county, your state, our country, uh, is going to be right in the right in the the wheelhouse of the way the, way the Lord can, can use him. And and that's what I was always say is, that, yeah, someone's actions may be a little bit where we're standoffish to go, oh, I don't want to have a photo op with them. However, God can work through all these circumstances to bring them to the point. I've had a chance, and I'll not, you didn't mention pronouns. I'll not mention pronouns or names. But since the campaign to see, I've been able to be in those private rooms mm. of some of, the, some of those powerful people and have them being vulnerable in front of me and be able to counsel them and and give them, a. am talking leaders, mm-hmm. those who are making decisions. Um, to me, I don't know why God called me into to run for politics. I was just following after Christ. Right. But now that I look back on it, I can see so many benchmarks to where I go, yep, God was working there, God was working there. So uh, you can't lead out of fear and you can't lead out of insecurity. Mm. You lead out of being uh, passionate about following after Christ. That's right. And, and just an important
0: note on that too, because I think it
1: shows the sovereignty of
0: God, is I remember being at breakfast when you were telling myself and Caleb Crosby, hey, I think I'm really gonna do this. And I can say, you weren't doing it because you thought it'd be fun. You mm-hmm. do it because you thought, hey, we really could win this. And I'll be honest, I thought, hey, you really could win this. We all drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. I mean, we were we, like, oh, this could happen. And, and you could look back and say, well, Why did God lead me to do that if I didn't make it to where I thought I'd make it? But I've even seen how he's put you in so many important places with so many important future and current leaders to be able to shape them that you probably wouldn't have had the opportunity had you not run for governor. And so I hope you see it too, but God's sovereign hand in drawing you into that race because he's placed you in places that in some ways, honestly, brother, you may be making more difference now than if you had won the race and been the governor.
1: And that's where, I mean, the Lord convicted me. I'll tell you, post-race, um, the Lord and I had a little one-on-one and he was like, did you really believe that stuff you were campaigning on or did you just want to get elected? And uh, and now, since you lost, are you gonna go home? Mm-hmm. Or are you gonna get involved and, and just make some things happen? Now, I'm, I'm not looking for a political future. I'm looking on a future that's passionately following Christ. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I would say if you live in the state of Alabama and, uh, Hey, if you do live in Alabama and you see one of my signs, please take them down, <laughs> uh, <laughs> help, help a brother out here, man, please help a brother out. But because of those 18 months, one, I've made lifetime friendships too. I've seen impact. We saw, we saw people come to know Christ. Mm. Can I share one story? Yeah, I know please, we're closing, yeah. but I was at the Floribama on a Sunday morning, not, not a Saturday night. They, got, they have a church there and I was doing a service there. And that night when I was in Gordo. So I went from Orange Beach to Gordo, Alabama, and uh, it was a student rally. And because I was going to Gordo as a gubernatorial candidate, they hired uh, security for me. And I'll never, you can't make this up. His name was Officer Pooh Bear. That was his name, Pooh Bear. And so we had the the event, it was a student rally. It was an evangelistic rally. And we had several kids uh, make decisions. I was walking into the counseling room and Pooh Bear was standing in the doorway. And I tapped him on the shoulder and he turned around and Herbie, he had these salt stains on his cheeks. He'd been crying. And I was like, Pooh Bear? I said, come on, let's go outside. And, and uh, I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, we're in Gordo. Nothing ever happens in Gordo. But he said, every night when I go on duty, I don't know if this is my last night on this planet. Wow. And he said, "What well, you were talking about tonight of peace and and, and and forgiveness and love. He said, I've never experienced that. Hmm. And that night, the privilege of seeing Pooh Bear come to know Christ, that we were driving back from Gordo, and this was like in March, so that it hadn't even heated up yet. And I, I we were sitting in the back seat, and I said, Tara, I said, you know, in ministry, we always say, if one comes to know Christ, it's worth it. I said, wouldn't it be just like our God to interrupt our lives so that we'll go into a campaign so that a guy named Pooh Bear that would have never been at a religious service would come because he had to be security for me to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. And I, I, I remember that night going, if this is why it's all, what it's all about, I'm good. Amen.
0: So. Well, brother... That's a great way to end and that just reminds families who are pursuing to care for the orphan and the vulnerable and the foster child and the adopted child that when you make a difference in the life of the one child the lord has in front of you you're making a life for it you're making a difference for eternity and we don't we don't need to judge our success by numbers we don't need to judge our success by achievement and we judge our success by consistency in the life of the child that the Lord has put in front of us to care for, that vulnerable child, that orphan, or that foster child. We need to be consistent and pray to the Lord that He will redeem.
1: Amen. Thank you for for what you do. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. It's good to be with you.